0: Our gospel lesson today comes from Luke, chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Then Jesus told them a parable about their need to pray always and to not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent.'" Will he delay long in helping them? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? May God bless this reading to our understanding. Three years ago, the director of the FBI, Chris Wray, flew in from Washington, D.C. and stood right there to eulogize a fallen hero. The hero was a Mizzou grad. She was an attorney. She had found her life's calling as an FBI agent. In the days following the attacks of 9-11, Melissa Morrow was sent to the Pentagon on a search and rescue mission that quickly became an evidence-gathering mission. For 10 weeks, seven days a week, 12-hour shifts, Melissa and her colleagues shifted, sifted, through that toxic debris. When it was clear that no more lives could be saved, Melissa found some joy in discovering a personal coffee cup that belonged to someone who perished and returning it to the family members as a remembrance. Melissa persisted. She searched. She poured herself into the pursuit of justice. Fifteen years later, Melissa was diagnosed with brain cancer. She was only 48 years old when she died. I vividly remember the day of her funeral. The FBI agents had been here all week preparing our campus for this national event. Ward Parkway was closed in both directions to all traffic. A massive flag hung from a fire truck in the middle of Ward Parkway, And after the funeral, everyone went outside and took a seat and the bagpipes played. It was a hero's recognition. And I remember learning that Melissa had been one of those agents who had advocated over the years, worked for justice for her colleagues to see that those who died because of their exposure to the toxic debris of 9-11 in all those rescue missions in various places, that each of them would receive a hero's recognition. And now she had become one of them. Melissa reminds me of the woman in today's parable. Jesus tells us a parable about a widow who approaches a judge demanding justice. The woman is relentless in her pursuit of justice. She badgers and cajoles and refuses to take no for an answer. I suppose the polite way we would say it is that she persisted or that she practiced perseverance. Clearly, she wants what she wants, and she refuses to give up until she gets it. Now, by his own admission, the judge does not care. He is painted in the parable as the worst kind of judge. He doesn't care either for those in his jurisdiction or for God. But the widow wears the judge down. The judge gets so annoyed by her constant bothering, her constant pestering, that he finally gives her what she asks for. She gets justice not because the system is fair. She gets justice because the heartless judge doesn't want to be bothered by this nagging woman one more minute. Now, sometimes it's rather unclear what Jesus means for us to get out of these parables that he's always telling. They can just leave us kind of scratching our heads. But in this instance, in the Gospel of Luke, we are told what the parable is about before we are told the parable. It says, that Jesus told them this so that they would pray always and not lose heart. Jesus wants his followers to persist. But the truth is that many of us who count ourselves among his followers find ourselves sometimes throwing in the towel and giving up. How dare we continue to find the courage to hope in a world that so often feels hopeless. On a personal level, one of us might be praying for a granddaughter recently diagnosed with autism, that she won't be bullied on the playground, that the health insurance company will not hassle her parents one more time about getting the adequate treatment she deserves. We might pray for a neighbor who we know has been a victim of spousal abuse. But what if we pray and we work and nothing changes? We lose heart. Sometimes as a community, we gather together and we work together for racial harmony. We work together for civil discourse in public life and in politics. We work together collaboratively across different disciplines to make sure that people who are coming out of incarceration are able to find jobs and a new life. Together, as a church, we work as tutors. We pack back snacks, we grow gardens, we bake cookies and cakes to feed those in our community who are food insecure. And yet sometimes, we find ourselves feeling depleted defeated because anger and hate and broken systems trap so many people in fear. They are left, we are left, weary and wondering if life will improve. And so when Luke writes this gospel and tells this parable that Jesus told, Luke is writing to people who are living two generations after the time of Jesus. These members of the early church are praying for safety. They are praying that the oppressive regimes who keep them trapped will not persecute them any longer. Surely they are beginning to lose heart. Their prayers have not been immediately answered. Their enthusiasm for the cause of Christ is beginning to erode because they look around and see a world in which life is still not fair. All are not receiving justice. And I wonder if every single one of us has something that we were once passionately working towards that we have now given up on. And at the same time, I wonder if every single one of us has some goal that we are still persisting We still want to reach that goal, but someone over here is shaking their heads and saying, well, that's never going to happen. Fred Craddock tells about the day that he was in a gathering of local leaders who were concerned about the oppressive conditions and the unfair practices in their particular community, and an elderly black minister stood up and read this particular parable from Luke 18, and then he said, Until you have stood for years knocking at a locked door with your knuckles bleeding, you do not really know what prayer is. Persistence is more than prayer. It is working for change in an active way. It is partnering with God to create a new reality. I remember when I first moved to Kansas City, and I would go to the grocery store over here in Brookside, and there was this guy who was standing out front, and he wanted me to sign some kind of petition. And And I talked to him. He was interested in something called light rail. And then I noticed a year later, he was there again. And four years later, he was there. And I thought, does this guy not have a job? Like, is he just all about signing petitions? Doesn't he know that people in Kansas City, we like driving our own cars. We know it would be better for the environment to have some kind of public transit system. We know that it would revive the urban core. We know that it would create jobs and vitality for the city, but doesn't he know that isn't ever gonna happen? And of course, today we have light rail and it's expanding and it's so exciting for our city And I'm so grateful that some folks do more than pray. They get people to sign petitions. They put feet on their prayers. Usually, when the Gospels tell us one of these parables, we are left to interpret the parable on our own. But in this case, after Luke tells us the parable, he goes on to elaborate. Luke then contrasts the unjust judge with the ultimate judge of all creation with God. Jesus compares the one who sits on the bench and does not care with the God of compassion who deeply cares. Luke reminds us that the character of our God is justice. That this God that we worship is the one who created the highest standard of justice. That this is the God who tells us what is right and wrong. And so in the parable, even the bad judge does the right thing. So how much more so will God do the right thing? And so prayer then it is not about you and me coercing and manipulating God. It is about our persistence in partnering with God who longs to bring justice quickly right now. We need not cajole God into giving us what we want. We need to remain open to God's spirit engaging us in the pursuit of justice. The orphans, the widows, the poor, the oppressed, the prisoners, the refugees, the abused, the mistreated, the maligned, God seeks justice for all of these, especially for those who have no voice, especially for those who have been shoved aside and ignored like that widow. Last summer, Dave and I visited this teeny tiny town. I think it was population 253 called Boulder, Utah. It was in the middle of the... Escalante staircase, the national monument there. If you weren't looking for this little town of Boulder, you would definitely miss it if you blinked. There wasn't even a stoplight there. No other town for 20 or 30 miles in any direction. We went there because we had heard that these two really talented chefs had moved there and started a restaurant a little more than 20 years ago. Their goal had been to bring farm-to-table food to this area. They were going to grow their own organic food and they found out that the task of starting this restaurant was far more difficult than any of them had imagined. The local people in Boulder had never heard of farm-to-table or grass-fed food or slow food. And they were suspicious of these two interlopers in their community trying to sell such fancy food. And the locals said they were not about to pay $10 for an organic pancake. So the two chefs decided, well, maybe we'll serve the food for half price to anyone who's a local resident. And then they thought, well maybe we can engage the community and they put up a help wanted sign and nobody applied to work there. They they were going to need a liquor license, but the people in this community were vehemently opposed to granting a liquor license to anyone. What a scandal. The two chefs thought, well, we're going to grow our own food, but there was not enough topsoil, so they had to bring in some dirt. And then they raised some beautiful food, but a hailstorm came and destroyed the entire garden. And then the chefs thought, let's have an ice cream social and they made homemade ice cream and they invited every member of the town and they thought well it's a good thing we have a good large freezer because probably no one will come and everyone came and they began a partnership with this community and today if you go to Boulder you will have to wait for a table and you will find food that has won James Beard Awards, and on your plate will be food that the local community has helped to raise. 50 members of that community are now employed at the restaurant, but really, it's not about the food. It's about these two chefs partnering with the small community to make life better for everyone, and now this entire area of land is at risk and people want to roll back the federal protections of the land. And these two chefs are leading the crusade to keep the land beautiful and safe and protected. And they are now pouring that same persistence that they poured into their food, into the land and in the community. They persisted because they wanted a better way of life for all people. And I love the name of the restaurant. It's called Hell's Backbone. And it describes part of the landscape there, that rugged terrain where they built a road where no one thought a road could be built. But it also describes their persistence. Hell's Backbone. Creating a way of life where the community and the land and the people experience justice. Sometimes, You and I persist because we are tenacious. But other times, we just don't know if we can keep on going. We simply run out of hope. The world sometimes seems to just crumble around us, and that is when we discover that we are no longer motivated by our own willpower. We are motivated instead by the presence of God because God's character is about justice. God's nature is about justice. God's essence is compassion and love for all human beings. And so Jesus ends the parable with a final question. It's a question raised for those first century Christians. It's a question for all of us who sometimes find our will eroding. He says, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? That's the question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on this earth? And here's how one man answered that question. In 1780, William Wilberforce, only in his 20s, became a member of British Parliament. According to British pastor Maggie Don, he had no commitment to social justice and no commitment to his own faith. But one Easter, while he was still in his mid 20s, he experienced a profound religious experience. And he thought his whole life had been redirected. He wondered if he should resign from Parliament, and then he began to see that. He had a calling from God to be a part of creating public policies, public policies that would promote justice, and he became friends with people in England who were working to abolish slavery. It took William Wilberforce and his colleagues decades to even realize a slight amount of progress in their pursuit to abolish slavery. His colleagues in Parliament knew that the economic cost was far too great. They couldn't bear to even consider it. Then a war intervened and no one would talk with him about his cause. And then he himself became quite ill and was in bed for weeks at a time. The temptation I'm sure was there for William Wilberforce to give up on what seemed like an impossible task, but he persisted despite the roadblocks. And just a few days before William died, four days before he died, the Slavery Abolition Act of England passed. It had been 53 years since he had first entered Parliament. Wilberforce described his own faith and his own life of prayer with these words, My walk is a public one. He suffered many setbacks, but he never, ever, ever lost heart. Like the widow, he kept pursuing justice.